Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter number 1. Judges, chapter number 1. And uh, I tell you, you know, I got saved as a 10-year-old boy, and I didn't know how good I was getting it when I got saved. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know. I knew I didn't want to die and go to hell. I knew that. And uh, I knew he could save me. And I believed that. But I would have never imagined all that I got when I got him. Amen. I mean, I found it all when I got him. Amen. I'm glad of that, man. I don't, I don't know about some of this religion thinks God puts you on a layaway plan. And, uh, you know, you, you get a little bit of him and a little bit of him and a little bit of him. And if you hold out and hang in and hold on, then you might get the rest of him. That's not how he saved me, man. When he saved me, he gave me everything. Amen. And I praise his name for it. Judges chapter number one this morning. And I'd like to read just a few short verses beginning at verse 22. If you want to know a little bit about our passage uh, before we read our text, Joshua uh, and the elders that had lived during the time of Joshua have all died. And uh, Israel is about to enter a time of national rebellion. Uh, they, they probably don't know that, but they are about to in the book of Judges. But before they do, there is sort of a final push made to conquer the land and to try to take the areas that God had promised to them. And so that's what chapter number one is mainly occupied with, is these little excursions to conquer places, and some of them, as in our text, to reconquer places that God had promised to his people. And so the Bible says in Judges chapter 1, verse number 22, in the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to describe Bethel. Now the name of the city before was Luz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we will show thee mercy. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword. But they let go the man and all his family. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. We'll stop there and pray. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for letting us be in the house of God. Lord, thank you for the music that's already ministered to our hearts. Lord, thank you for the announcements that have been given. Lord, for not only in that were there matters that just concern the daily life of our church, but Lord, we also were reminded of your promises, of your soon coming. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy in our lives. I thank you for the faithfulness of those that are gathered here today. They've come because they want to hear from you, Lord. And I pray that you'd help me as I preach the word of God, Lord, to be out of the way. Lord, to hide behind the shadow of your cross that they may see Christ and him alone. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the word of God. Now work in hearts this morning for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in Judges chapter number 1, we have a short account here of the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Often in your Bible, they are spoken of collectively as the house of Joseph. They were the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And uh, Joseph's portion of the sons of Jacob uh, was divided in between those two sons of Joseph, who were actually the grandsons of Jacob. And so these two tribes gather together and they go to retake a place named Bethel. Now Bethel is an interesting place. It is rich with history in the Word of God. But the thing that I'm most interested in for the moment is the fact that Bethel is a place, if we read in the book of Joshua, that had already been conquered. It had been taken, but then it had been taken back by the Canaanites that dwelt in the land. 
And so Bethel is not a place that is ignorant of the concept of the God of Israel. What we read in our text that as they are watching and reconnoitering this place, that a man comes out of the city and they make a proposal to this man. They say, if you'll show us the easiest, best way to get into the city. Now, they don't mean the gates. The gates would have been obvious. But what they mean is, can you show us some secret path whereby we can get into the city and take and conquer the city? If you'll do that, then here's what we'll do. We'll turn your family loose and free. Well, as we read in our text, the man does this exact thing. And God uh, spares this man and Israel spares this man and his family. But then the Bible says this man did an interesting thing. Verse 26 says, The man went into the land of the Hittites, another Canaanite people, and built a city. He could have called this city anything he wanted to call it. But the Bible says he called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. So think with me for just a moment. Here is a man who is a Gentile pagan individual. The only concept he has of God, he has because of the environment that he has been in. There are some historical things that teach him about God. But he has grown up largely a pagan. The people of God come and they uh, take this city and smite it with the edge of the sword. But before they do, they extend him an offer of mercy. He accepts this. He is given freedom. He is given pardon. Instead of this man staying in Bethel, instead of this man finding in the mercy of God a resting place for his family, he instead leaves, go finds another Gentile place, and rebuilds the things that God had just destroyed. You say, preacher, what does that teach us? Well, I'll tell you this, man. It's a sad thing in our life when we dedicate our life to rebuilding the things that God has destroyed. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning from Luz to Luz. Can I tell you, there's a lot of Christians in life don't never get nowhere but from Luz to Luz. Now you say, well, preacher, what do you mean this morning? Well, I want you to think about three simple thoughts and then we'll be done. The first thing I want you to think about is this man's historic home. As we said a moment ago, the place Bethel, also known as Luz, when it was under God's control, it was Bethel. When it was under pagan control, it was Luz. This is not the first time that we have been introduced to this place in the Bible. You know, I I think sometimes uh, some of the places that we go on vacation, we like to go to quiet, out-of-the-way places, and a lot of the places we go to will have history uh, to them. And a lot of times you'll be walking down the street and you'll see a little placard somewhere and there'll be some event that took place that you never knew anything about. I just, I love to stop and read those placards, get on my phone, search out, find out. You know, there's a lot of history around us we don't never know anything about. I mean, there's things happened all over the place. Uh, Tennessee in particular is a pretty old part of the country, and there's things that happen all the time. There's just down the street from the house I was raised in, there's a little placard about the founder of the community. And what these are are historical markers that are meant to represent and relate and remember something in the minds of the people that live there. You know, this man growing up in Bethel, there would have been a lot of historical markers around that would have taught him things about God. For instance, imagine you're taking a walking tour with this man through the streets of Bethel or of Luz. And if he was to walk out of the city and go down the slope of the city towards a little city by the name of Ai, there in the midst of the two, he would have looked over and he would have seen a pile of stones there. Now that pile of stones may have seemed insignificant to the casual passerby, but if he knew what he was looking at, he would have known that those stones had a great history. You see, the Bible tells us in Genesis 12, 8, that Abraham, when he came out of 
pagan darkness and went into the land of Canaan for the first time that he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And the Bible says there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. If this man had known his Bethel history as he walked down that slope and looked over and saw that pile of stones, he would have known when he looked at the altar that this was the place where a pagan once, hundreds of years ago, by the name of Abraham, had come out of darkness, had come out of uh, of bondage, and had called upon the name of the living God. Can I tell you, one of the reasons that I got born again is I saw the altar. Amen? And you know what he would have learned when he saw the altar? He would have learned this truth if he knew what he was looking at. He would have learned that God pardons pagans. <laughs> we think about Abraham. I get asked this question a lot of times. People say, well, preacher, well, why did God choose Israel as his people? And I often will reply, well, God didn't choose Israel. God chose Abraham. And God didn't choose Abraham because of anything that Abraham had done or anything that Abraham was. He chose Abraham out of his grace and out of his mercy. Abraham, the Bible calls him in the Old Testament, a Syrian ready to perish. He was somebody that was not of pure blood, not of great lineage. He was a man that was living in pagan darkness, no concept of who God was. But then the good God of glory spoke down to him and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he followed him and he obeyed him and he stepped out in faith. And when he did, the Bible tells us in Genesis 15, that God counted it unto him for righteousness. Say, preacher, what would this man learn? Well, he looked over at an old weather-worn altar. And if he knew what he was looking at, he would have known, hey, God, God will pardon a pagan. God will save a pagan. If a pagan will come to him in faith, then God would be willing to save him. If he went into the city of Bethel and walked a little bit further, he would have seen not an altar, but he would have seen a stone set up. This stone would have looked old and weather-worn as well, and it would date almost to the days of Abram. In fact, it would date to the days of Abraham's grandson. The Bible tells us again about Bethel in Genesis chapter 28. Listen to what it says. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, when he went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place and put them for pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Now listen to what happened to Jacob in this place. He dreamed a dream, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending. The Bible tells us down in verse 16 that Jacob awaked out of his sleep. And this is what he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. You know, the name Bethel literally means house of God. Just as Bethlehem means house of ham. Isn't that right? Isn't that what it means? No, it means house of bread, doesn't it? <laughs> I'd go eat at a restaurant called the house of ham. I don't know about you. Well, no, that sound good. Well, Google that and we'll see about after church. Me and you will go, okay? Bethel means the house of God. 
This was the place where God had revealed this vision, this dream to Jacob. And by the way, this vision and dream were told later on in the Gospels was a picture of the Gospel through the person of Jesus Christ, that He is that ladder through which the saints of God can ascend up into the presence of God. And by the way, I like the way it says it. They're ascending and they're descending. You know, that's exactly what we as born-again believers are going to do through Jesus Christ. We're going to ascend. One of these days, He's going to rapture us out of here. And then, seven years later, we're going to descend and come back with Him when He's in His power and in His glory. But all of this was a picture of God's plan for the ages. And when Jacob wakes up, here's what he says, man, I laid down here because I was tired. I laid down here to sleep. I didn't know I'd stopped at God's house. I didn't know God was present in this place. He wakes up and he says, God has been here. I would say it this way. This man walking through the streets of Bethel, when he saw the altar, he would have learned that God pardons pagans. But when he looked at the pillar, he would have learned that God's presence is present. So what do you mean, preacher, that He's a personal, present God? That He's a real God? You know why I called on the Lord? One, because I knew He'd save me, but two, because I knew He's real. You know why some people never going to get born again? They're not just totally convinced that God's real. Uh, They've allowed the cynicism of the world. They've allowed the skepticism of the world to blind their eyes. They've allowed the devil to blind their eyes from the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. They've been programmed by this world system and they can't understand that He's a real God. He created all things that we see, but they're looking around saying, show me proof of Him. He works personally in the lives of those that have believed on Him and they're looking around saying, show me that He's real. But when this man looked and saw this pillar, if he was smart, if he knew what he was looking at, he would have said, this is the place where Jacob of old knew that God was real. If he had walked a little further and looked up, he would have seen some old dusty road signs there. Now, they had been painted and papered over and there had been new ones put in their place that said Luz. Luz was the Gentile name of the place. But undoubtedly, as he walked down the street, every now and then he'd look up and he'd see another uh, sign somewhere that had that old name that had been from years back when the Israelites had occupied the place. And it would have said Bethel. As we said, the word Bethel means house of God. And Bethel was an important place in the life of Jacob. Jacob makes a promise to God whenever God appears to him in Genesis 28. He tells God, he says, if you'll bring me back to this place after my journeys, after my sojourn, if you'll bring me back safely to this place, he says, I'll come back here and I'll worship you and I'll serve you here in this place that he had named the house of God. Well, Jacob for about 20 years goes and lives his life, marries wives and raises kids and raises cattle. And then in Genesis 35, the same God that had spoke to his granddaddy speaks to him and says, Jacob, it's time to go back and pay the butcher's bill. You promised that you'd serve me if I kept you safely all these years. So, Jacob, I want you to go back to Bethel and I want you to serve me there. And listen to what happens. Genesis chapter 35, verse 10. God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob when he gets back to Bethel. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Verse 15 says this, Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him Bethel. So, preacher, what does all that signify? Well, uh, Jacob's name had already in an informal way been changed when he wrestled with God at the Brook Penal. But though he had had a changed name, he didn't really have a changed nature after that time. But now, after many long years, God changes his disposition and he gives him this new name and he speaks to him afresh and anew again at this place. And whenever he looked up, this man walking through lust and saw that sign that said, Bethel, the house of God, if he knew his history, he'd have to be reminded that this is where the God of all the universe had spoken to mankind. Here's what he would have learned. He would have learned that God speaks to sinners. You know why I got born again? Because somebody told me God will listen. 
He speaks to sinners. And He spoke to my heart. I'd been raised in church and I'd been told probably every week of my life that if I'd never been saved, I needed to get saved. That I needed to be born again. That men are not born righteous. They have to be born again. And I'd been told that my whole life. Now, I don't say that as a criticism. All men can do is, is tell you. Amen? I mean, listen, how shall they hear without a preacher? But, you know, none of that ever really changed my life until December 1st, 1997. It wasn't a preacher. It wasn't an evangelist. It wasn't a Sunday school teacher. But it was God Himself spoke to my heart and said, You know, Toby, if you died, you'd die in your sins. When God spoke to me, when He spoke to this sinner, it forever changed my life. So what does this man know? What can he learn when he walks around this place that's his home? Well, he could learn when he saw the altar that God pardons pagans. He could learn when he saw the pillar that God's presence is present and personal. He could learn when he saw the road signs up on the streets that God speaks to sinners. But if he walked outside of town and started down that little slope towards that place where the altar was, if he looked off into the distance, here's what he would have seen. He would have seen a pile of ruins. His mind would have been cast back to a lot more present of a story in their immediate history. You see, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, when the children of Israel first enter into the land of Canaan, and they are beginning to conquer the land, they go and their first obstacle is that of Jericho. You've heard the story of how they march around the city for seven days. They shout, they blow the trumpet, God topples the walls. But the story doesn't end there. The Bible tells us in chapter 7 that a man by the name of Achan, uh, he takes some of the things that are in Jericho. Now that wasn't always wrong, but in this case it was. God had said, I don't want you taking any of the spoils uh, unto yourself. I want all those unto myself. But Achan, the Bible says, committed a trespass in that he took of the cursed thing, the thing that God had forbid him of. They then leave from there and go to a place named Ai, a neighboring city to the city of Bethel. Uh, Whenever they get there, Joshua says this is a small city and insignificant. Let's just send a few people up to go and take Ai. But here's what he didn't realize. Uh, Though he had the army with him, he didn't have the Lord with him. There was sin in the camp and God had abandoned them to their fate because of their disobedience. They go to Ai and go to fall. Upon it, But instead of falling on Ai, Ai falls on them. And they flee from the battle. Thirty-three men lost their lives that day because of Achan's sin. Uh, undoubtedly, this terrifying force of, uh, of, of transient uh, uh, soldiers, the Israelites, would have been a formidable foe. And yet this little community is able to beat them back and to defeat them that day. Don't you think that made the news? Don't you think people noticed that? Well, if you go on and read the story, you'll know that uh, whenever they come back, Joshua sort of uh, foolishly charges the Lord of having abandoned them. And, and God tells Joshua, well, I didn't abandon you. You abandoned me. I, I didn't sin against you. You sinned against me. Achan committed a trespass. He took of that which I told him not to. And they take and uh, discover it's Achan and, and, and uh, execute him and his family. And then the Bible says in the next chapter, they back up, they punt, they go back, and they whoop Ai. They destroy it. They lay waste to it. You say, preacher, what's the significance? Well, here's what this man would have known if he had known his history. When he saw the road signs, he would have known that God speaks to sinners. But when he looked across the plain and saw the wreckage of a town called Ai, when he saw the ruins, he would have known that God deals with the disobedient. In other words, these four large thoughts looming in his mind, he'd know this, God will save me if I'll come to him. God's real enough to save me. God will speak to me if I listen. But if I turn him away, here's what God's going to do. Sooner or later, I'm going to have to deal with him. 
God will deal with me in judgment. So I would say this, though this man is a Gentile, though he is a pagan, though he wasn't brought up in rabbinical uh, history and tradition and thought, he had enough truth and enough light around him to condemn him or to save him. You know, that's true for every single one of us. Uh, Listen, don't, don't act like we're living somewhere in the darkest heart of the Amazon. Uh, We're surrounded with enough that we know the truth. And knowing the truth, we are greatly accountable for the truth. Well, we see his historic home in verse number 22, this place that the Bible calls Bethel. But then I want you to think with me for a moment about his dramatic deliverance. Now, the Bible tells us in verse number 23 that the house of Joseph sent to descry. Now, that's not a familiar word to most of us, but what it means is to discern or describe or to reconnoitre. They went to spy out the city of Bethel. They wanted to examine it. They wanted to probe it for weaknesses, for strengths. They wanted to find out how can we get into this city. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee mercy, pray thee entrance into the city, and we will show thee mercy. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. Now, I don't know about you, maybe not transparently on the face of it, but you know, you look a little closer. This sort of reminds you of what it's like when a man gets born again. You say, well, preacher, well, how is that? Well, because the same three things that happened to him happened to you and happened to me if we've been saved. If we've been born again, the same things happen. Notice, number one, what do we see? We see he was spied out. Uh, the people of God came down to examine, to look, to, to, to assess, and to find out what the state and station of the city was. Can I tell you this? We have this funny papers notion of our theology that one of these days we're going to get to heaven to find out whether we're going to get to heaven. Uh, <laughs> uh, can I tell you, you've already been spied out. God's already judged your life. He's already looked at your life. If you're lost and undone without Christ, you're not waiting to get to heaven to find out whether you're going to get to heaven. It's already been determined. The Bible says the wrath of God abides on us already if we're lost, if we've not received Christ. That that God, that Christ didn't come uh, to condemn the world, that the world is condemned already. They came by and assessed this uh, city, looked at this place, and here's what they found. They found out there is a weakness, there is a place in. If we can get somebody to let us in, then we can get into this city. I'm reminded of what the Bible says about God's assessment of Nebuchadnezzar. God looked at Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, and uh, he, or not Nebuchadnezzar, but Belshazzar, his grandson, looked at him and said this, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Can I tell you, we're not waiting to find out what God thinks of our lost condition. We've already been weighed in the balances and we've already been found wanting. So they spied out this city. Notice he was spied out. But then a second thing happens. The Bible says this, verse 24, The spies saw a man come forth out of the city. And they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we will show thee mercy. Now this is interesting. This man doesn't even know to talk to them, but they know to talk to him. Let me say it this way. He was spied out, but number two, he was spoken to. He didn't know to go and look for help. He didn't even know danger was coming. But God knew danger was coming. And God in His mercy orchestrated that the paths of these spies from Israel would cross with this man as he leaves out of the city. And there, an opportunity there, an extension of mercy is made to this man. They speak to him and say, you know, everybody in this city is going to die. But you don't have to die with everybody in this city. 
you know, uh, when I got born again, you know why? You know why I got born again? Because I learned this. Hey, uh, there's a lot of people dying and going to hell, but I don't have to be one of them. You can't stop everybody from dying and going to hell. I'm aware of that. I understand that men make their own choices. And, and I believe God has given us free will and respects that free will. I believe He gives us a choice in whether we receive Him or not. And, you know, it's easy to get discouraged in this world. You look around and there's a wave of wickedness seems to be washing over all of humanity. But let me tell you this. I understand broad's the way that leadeth to destruction. I understand many there be that go therein. But you don't have to be one of them. You don't have to die in the city with the rest of them. God extends His hand out to you. That's what He said to Israel. That's what He said in the book of Proverbs. I've extended out. I've reached out my hand to them all the day long. And here we have an offer of mercy given to this man. He was spied out and he was spoken to. But then I like what verse 25 says. The Bible says, When He showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. I love this. You know, in many ways, this city represents this man's life. It's where his security is. It's where his safety is. Uh, it's where his, his, his prosperity is. It seems as though if he could go out and build another city, it seems as though he had done well. He was prosperous. He probably had a home there, maybe had a business there. Everything he had, he had in this city. That was his whole life. And here's what God says. God says, if you'll let me in and let me destroy all that, I'll spare you and give you something better than what that is. You know, that's what happened when we got saved. We, we had our life was like a city with a wall around it. We had walled God out of it. We didn't want Him to have any part of it. But then the gospel came along and said, you know, you can sit back in the walled city of your life, but sooner or later God's going to steamroll over them walls and you're going to have to answer for the life that you've lived. And He said, wouldn't it be far better if you just let us into the city and yeah, there's some things we'll have to destroy, but we'll spare the things that matter. And that's what happened when you got saved. God spared you. Uh, Notice that he didn't say, I'll just spare you. He says, I'll spare you and I'll spare your family. The things that mattered, he let him keep. Can I tell you, the the world tells you if you get born again, you're going to lose everything that matters. No, you'll only keep the things that matter. God will put the rest of it to the edge of the sword. I know that. Uh, But uh, you'll get to keep the things that really, truly matter in life. All that this man needed, he was allowed to keep because he was willing. He couldn't get the city to wave the white flag, but that part of him that would wave the white flag waved it and was spared and was given mercy. I hope I can say this right. I don't know if I can. Maybe I ought not say it if I can't say it right. But I rarely say anything right. So if if I wasn't willing to take a chance, I guess I'd... Sometimes we're waiting until we can wholeheartedly run to Him. I don't know about you, when I got saved, there was a whole heap and help of me that didn't want to go to Him. Most of the city wanted to stay back. But there was that part of me that came to myself that realized and knew that the Word of God's true and that if I stay in this lost condition, I'm going to die in my sins. And that part of me came out and ran to God. You say, God, preacher, what did God do with the part of you that wouldn't come to Him? He put it to the sword. But that part of me that mattered, He took it and spared it. Now, let, me, let me just say it real explicitly. There will be things in your life that if you get born again that might walk away from you, that you might lose. I know that. You know that. But those are the things that don't matter. God loves you enough that the things that are important in your life, you won't be a loser for coming to Christ. The things that matter, He'll spare 
those things. So here's this man. This is just, I see this dramatic deliverance in his life. He was spied out. He was weighed in the balances. They had seen the city. They knew the weaknesses and the strengths. He was spoken to, given an offer of mercy. If you will just wave the white flag, if you will come to us and show us the way in, then we'll spare you. And that's exactly what happened. He was spared. Now, what do you imagine this man would do? I'd like to think if it was me, I would say this. Well, boy, this God that has shown me such mercy and grace, I want to serve him the rest of my days. I would think that I would be one that that would say I'll be better situated there in the house of God with the people that know God and love God than I would be out in a broken and harsh and cold world. I would think I would say to myself, these are the people that I want to raise my family around. This is the crowd that I want to be around. I would think I would say this. Luz is no more. It is Bethel now. And I'm going to be Bethel the rest of my life. But sadly, that's not what this man does. The Bible says instead, in verse 26, the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. You know, the sad truth is God had destroyed and spared him and rescued him of Luz. But instead of living in Bethel the rest of his days, he went out and dedicated the rest of his life to building loves afresh and anew. Can I tell you, there's a lot of Christians that do the exact same thing. Man, God saved you out of that mess, and then you'll spend your whole life trying to rebuild that mess. God delivered you from the bondage of those things. Why would you go back to those things again? Don't you know when you got born again, your life became about more than just a bank account, more than just the opinions of men, uh, more than just the prosperity that this world can offer, more than just uh, leisure and, and, and pleasure and, 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 and experience. Don't you know your life became... Hey, that was Luz. God already destroyed Luz. Now you're a part of Bethel. Now you're a part of something bigger and more important. I'll tell you what it made me think of. I, I thought of Second Peter chapter number 1. Let me read. This is about nine verses, but I, I can tell you all are really excited today, so you'll have the strength for it. Listen. Listen to what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, did you hear what he said? He said, you've been saved, you've been born again. But he says, I want grace and peace to be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I don't want you to just stay where you are. I want you to grow, is what Peter said. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Yeah, he put lust to the sword, but Bethel's pretty good. I'm going to say that again. Yeah, he put lust to the sword, but Bethel's pretty good. That old life may be done, but you ain't even tried this new life yet. Hey, he's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How do he do that? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In other words, you've escaped lust. You've left that place behind. He says, and beside this, giving all diligence, that means give attention, give, give, give energy towards it. Here's what he says, add to your faith virtue. In other words, you believed in the Lord, now be virtuous. And to virtue, knowledge, grow in the knowledge of the Lord. And to knowledge, temperance, master 
yourself. Allow the Spirit of God to have the governance of your life. And to temperance, patience. Learn how to wait on the Lord. And to patience, godliness. Having God-likeness in your life. Being like the Lord in your character and in your behavior. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Loving one another in the Lord. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Allowing the Spirit of God to manifest and minister the love of God through you. Then he says, verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's pause and stop there. Peter says, this is what God has for you. This is what Bethel's all about. God saved you and He has a plan for you. And that plan is not for you to maintain the status quo, to tread water, to stay just barely outside the gates of Luz. If he wanted you to go back to Luz, he wouldn't have put it to the edge of the sword. If he wanted you to go back and live like you were before you got born again, he wouldn't have torn all that down from your life, shown you it was vain and empty and meaningless and unsatisfying. He would have allowed you to stay delusion, believing that all those things gave you peace and contentment. But when you got born again, it's because you felt deeply the emptiness of those things, that those things couldn't satisfy you. He don't want you to go back to those things. Instead, here's what He wants. He wants you to grow in knowledge, virtue, temperance, all these things, patience, brotherly kindness, charity, to grow in the Lord and to grow to be more like Him. Then He says in verse number 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You know, the sad reality is, there's a great many Christians that have done forgot what God did when He saved them. They ain't lost their salvation. They don't have a second-class salvation. But they've just got barely out the gates of lust and started rebuilding a new lust. This man, instead of relishing in and rooting down in the house of God and the place that God had constructed, instead of learning the lineage and heritage and pedigree of this place where God had dealt with His people, where God could do great things, instead, undoubtedly, they would have let him proselyte into the house of Israel because of this. And through this process, he had already shown his loyalties weren't to Luz, but to the Lord. But instead of staying there and growing and raising his family there, he instead goes out to rebuild the same broken city. I see in this passage his historic home and his dramatic deliverance. But you know, the saddest thing I see is his tragic testimony. What three things could we say about this man that we could say about a lot of Christians today? There's a lot of people. Let me say this. I have people ask me all the time. I don't know why. People like to ask about the book of Hebrews. And uh, they say, well, preacher, you know, who wrote the book of Hebrews? And I I always tell them, I know. Uh, The Lord did. Amen. And uh, if you want to get real bold, I think Paul did. Amen. And uh, you you might disagree with that, and and that's fine. There's people wrong every day. You being wrong on that is not going to break the world from its foundations. But people people have often asked me about different passages in the book of Hebrews. They'll say, well, now, who's this written to? And here's how I've described it. The book of Hebrews is written to Jews that are at the door. And here's what I mean by that. Listen carefully. Paul does not take for granted the spiritual condition of the people he's writing to. And so there'll be some passages that it sounds like you're writing to someone that needs to get saved and is about to get saved, but they've not done it yet. And then there's other passages that it looks like he's writing to people that just got saved, Jews that had just got saved, and he's encouraging them to stay faithful to the Lord. And then there's some passages, I mean, he says, for the time being, you ought to be teachers, but you're babes. 
in need of milk. There's times it seems like he's talking to people that have been saved for a long time, but they've never grown in the Lord. You say, preacher, which is it? And I say, yes. Paul doesn't take for granted their spiritual condition. He's writing to people just like this man, newly spared, maybe just right on the precipice, right on the edge, trying to make their mind up. Or they've just been born again. They've just got saved. And, and love is pulling hard at their back. And he's telling them, go on unto perfection. Lay not again the foundation of these things. Go on. Grow in the Lord. Don't get bogged down and hung up and hemmed in. Instead, go on and let God do something with your life. Peter looks at these people and says, folks that allow themselves to be in a perpetually stunted state of spiritual development, they're blind and they cannot see afar off. You know, uh, that the second luz didn't last any more than the first luz did. Sooner or later it was destroyed and they've forgotten that they were purged from their old sins. What could we say about this man's tragic testimony? Three things that he did. Notice number one, he deserted the city. The Bible says, verse 26, the man went into the land of the Hittites. Instead of staying around God's people, what did he do? He went right back to that same old crowd that God had spared him of. Now, it probably wasn't the exact same people. Probably most of those were slain in the land of lust. But he went out and sought another Gentile people so that he'd feel comfortable there. You know, it's part of the reason Christianity has got so just downright carnal these days is because a lot of people don't want spiritual Christianity. God slew that crowd that they were a part of, and now they go out and try to find a, a, a crowd called Christian just as carnal as the crowd that was pagan that God saved them from so that they feel better about themselves instead of growing in the Lord. When God saved you, He changed your crowd. You're a part of a different group of people now. You're a part of the people of God. And if you'd spend time getting to know the people of God and falling in love with the people of God, here's what you'd find. That crowd in Bethel is a lot more fun to be around than that crowd in Luz ever was. You'd find there's a depth, a richness, a fellowship. But instead, here's what he did. He left the place and went. And I mean, he was willing to stay there when it was all a bunch of uh, uh, godless pagans. But God spares him, and then the moment that it's nothing but people that know who God is, he walks away from it. He deserted the city. Notice the second thing he did. I think this is sad. The Bible says this. He built a city and called the name thereof Luz. He dedicated the rest of his life to trying to build what God had saved him out of for his family to live in instead of trying to build something godlike for them to partake in. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's been this thing for two, three generations. It seems like it started with the Depression where people's main goal in life was to give their kids a better life than they had. Now, here's the problem with that. How do you define better life? I'll tell you what it produced. It produced a lot of materialism. It, 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 it produced a, a lot of, of disconnectedness in family units because people, as opposed to valuing their family, they just became rootless and went wherever the dollar led them to. And now we live in this gutted out, hollowed out society where people don't even know how to talk to each other anymore. And where... Mm, I'm saying this, what's a better life? You say, preacher, I want to make a better life for my kids. It don't involve better electronics or more prestigious education. I'll tell you what it does constitute providing a godlier home for them than what she was raised in. You say, preacher, I was raised in a pretty godly home. Oh, you can beat them. <laughs> Why have we had generations of people degrading their standards and values? 
We really want what's best. You say, but preacher, I want what's best for my kids. Then you'll raise them in church. Then you'll teach them the Word of God. That's what's best. Don't go out and build laws all over again. Give them something better. Give them something worth living in. Let me say it this way. He deserted the city, but number two, he deprived his family. The Bible goes out of its way to tell us this man had a family. And instead of staying rooted right there where God was, hey, the house of God, I mean, I don't want to be any more on the nose than the Holy Spirit is. The house of God. That's what Bethel means, the house of God. When you get out of the house of God, you're depriving your family of the house of God. Instead of staying right there, he went out chasing after whatever used to be. And in doing so, you know what? We don't learn another thing about this man's family. You know why? Because probably whatever happened to his family wasn't worth writing about. They just faded off into obscurity. You know, what really makes an eternal difference is raising your kids in the house of the Lord and in the things of God, in the truth of God, teaching them what the Word of God expects out of their life, teaching them what God can do in and through and for their life. But instead, here's what this man did. He he said, I'm going to go build a great city and I'm going to rebuild it and name it Luz. And in doing so, he forgot about what mattered the most. What mattered? Well, what mattered was what God had spared. What did God spare? He spared him and his family. I don't know how to say it any plainer. The the next $10,000 is not going to matter in the next 10 years. I don't know how to make it any plainer. I'm not against folks having stuff. I'm not against... I wish I had stuff. I'm not against folks having stuff. But that's not what's going to matter to your family. That's not what's going to matter for eternity. Don't wait till you're old and shriveled up to learn this. Learn it now that what matters is the things of God. Don't go out and rebuild that same mess God saved you out of. You do so, you're depriving your family. I see he, he deserted the city and he deprived his family. But then notice this last sad statement. It says, He built a city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. You know, it's interesting. You know what we don't have in this entire little little text? You know one piece of information we never learn? We never learn his name. We learn the name of what he built, but we don't ever learn his name. You know why? Because your testimony is going to be defined not by your personality, but by your behavior. Nobody knows who this man's name was. Here's what they remember him as. Yeah, that's that fool that went down there and rebuilt Luz. Let me say it this way. He deserted the city and deprived his family, but he destroyed his legacy. Imagine who he would have been in Bethel. He would have been, I mean, listen, he would have been the guy that had handed the city over to the people of God. You would have known his name in Bethel. It would have mattered in Bethel. He would have had a testimony in Bethel. He goes down to the land of the Hittites. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody cares who he is. He builds this city, and all he's known for is building this city. Anybody planning on going vacation to Luz this year? Tickets are probably pretty cheap, but I don't know what their mass policy is, all right? You might have anybody going. No, you ain't going to go to Luz. You can't find Luz. Luz ain't around no more. You know what still is around? This book. Imagine what a difference it would have made if he had dedicated his life to the cause of Christ and the things of the Lord. And I understand when I use the term cause of Christ, I'm really speaking more to you than I am to him, but to the things of God. Imagine if he had dedicated his life to the things of God. What a difference that would have made for his family. What a difference that would have made in his testimony. And I'm just telling you right now, you go back and invest your life building all that mess that God saved you out of. That mess is going to be in this world no matter what. You want to make a difference in this world, build something that glorifies God. Build something that matters. Make your life count instead of just going from loves to loves.
A lot of Christians just go from loves to loves. Hey, God put you in Bethel. Do something with it. Make your life count. Live it for the glory of God. You say, preacher, how do I do that? Well, the first thing you can do is you can commit yourself to grow in the Lord. Grow in the Lord. Read your Bible. Uh, Actively work to let Christ have more of your life day by day. And then you can do the things that you know are right. You can be in church. You can pray. You can can have a testimony amongst your, your loved ones and amongst your coworkers and amongst your neighbors. Don't just tread walk. Instead, grow in the Lord. Let's bow together. Father... I love you this morning, Lord. I, I thank you for the word of God, how true it has been in my life, Lord. I, I pray that you would just take these truths and apply them to each and every heart in that way which is most needed and that way which brings you the most glory. Lord, I love you. I thank you for all that you've done and will do. I ask it in Jesus' name.